the science of on the money show Welcome to The Money Show. I'm Bruce Whitfield. It is Tuesday night, the science of money this evening, and we've got a very special guest tonight where bits journalism students have to pay money to go and listen to him. You get him for nothing, just this once, uh, this evening, for now anyway. Uh, Kevin Davey, business editor at The Mail and Guardian. He's a lecturer at Wits Journalism, and that lecture is all about the history of money. What is this driving interest that you have in money, um, a subject about which you, you are writing a book? Um, I think money goes, obviously, to a a basic thing. But uh, this actually comes out from me asking my class what money is. What answers do you get? Well, they're all over the place. And I I thought about it myself, and I've looked at a lot lot of definitions, and I thought, well, actually, I didn't even know what it is. So I'm I'm thinking now, as you ask the question, I'm going, it's a means of exchange. Um, That's generally what we say. But I also say the Internet is a means of exchange. We don't think of that as money. So what is it? We use it every day. I think, by and large, if you look at the uh, uh, definitions in the dictionaries, they don't work for me. So I began to wonder. I was actually on my bicycle at the time going around the country and wondering how different societies, hunter-gatherers and pastoralists and then later, say, early trading, industrial societies, how those different kinds of societies worked, how they came into conflict with one another, cooperation with one another, and, and what versions of stories they had of money. Eu- European history books tell us that um, uh, civilized white sailors arrived on the shores of nations with beads and trinkets and traded them for cattle. Um, and therefore, fin- ancient financial systems are based on barter. Um, your hypothesis says that's complete and utter rubbish. Well, it isn't mine. There's a guy called David Graeber. He wrote a book okay. after the 2008 uh, collapse, which says it's called Debt the First 5,000 Years. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, the conventional story here is based on Adam Smith, and Adam Smith says there's barter, and then there's coins because barter is not very efficient, and later there's credit. But Graeber, an anthropologist, says actually there was never barter, except for very small little isolated instances when strangers met one another. But communities never bartered within themselves. They didn't have a system of economic exchange called barter. And the credit preceded all of it. Credit, and, and we base this on, and, and you went on a very interesting trip to Iraq. I want to hear about that in just a moment. But we, we look at, uh, it's sort of, we're, we're, is it the Sumerians or the Babylonians or one of these ancient cultures where uh, we've got clay tablets um, etched into um, using reeds, and we've, we've learned to uh, translate in the last 150 years, I think, the cuneiform language, um, which gives us a sense that credit existed 5,000 years ago. Indeed. So what happens is that uh, when we mobile, we're nomadic, we don't really accumulate surplus goods. We don't really need to count stuff. We share stuff and we move on. Okay, that's sort of hunter-gatherer, early nomadic kind of societies. But when we settle and we start farming, we, we start producing surpluses. Yeah. And we need to manage those surpluses. And we need to start counting. Okay. And we find that there's a woman called Denise uh, Schmant-Bereset who's looked at it quite closely And no sooner do we settle, domesticate cattle, domesticate cereals, that we start counting. And this this finds itself. This is a long time ago. It's like ten thousand years ago. Do we know the first who the first not who the first bloke was who started counting, but where counting originated from? Well, it's all the uh, Fertile Crescent, as it's called, which is Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Iran. Uh, where cereals were first domesticated, and so so were some of the first cattle, goats, and sheep, and people settle. Okay, and then uh, further south, and that is Mesopotamia, Sumeria, 
they start getting to more complex societies. You get bureaucrats, you pay tax, you need irrigation systems. And the first city-states literally come out of those marshes. We're talking of times. I mean, if we contextualize it for ourselves, this is sort of the time of the Old Testament and perhaps a little earlier. It's before. It's before the Old Testament. Yeah, we're talking about uh, that early period that I said when, when the first simple tokens begin. That's about 10,000 years. And the first city-states are about 5,000 years ago. What, what simple tokens were being used 10,000 years ago? It's, it's incomprehensible to my little mind. Well, yeah. um, they're small things. They're the size of your fingertip. And the one, for instance, will have an X on it, and that will represent a sheep. Okay? And so early is this that these people, where they find these, these uh, tokens in these villages, they, they're kind of not really even settled people. They're still hunter-gatherers, okay? And the way she came across is she simply went to all the museums of the world that connected all these artifacts, and there was this extra thing that people called miscellaneous. <laughs> and she had them all dated, and over a period of perhaps a decade or so, she put the story together and saw how they evolved. So it's an early f- uh, form, in her view, of record-keeping, so maybe you and I have done some sort of deal around sheep, and we want to remember that you give me five or six sheep tokens. We don't know exactly what they're used for. You have to perhaps speculate. Sure. I mean, that's the basis of a lot of anthropology Indeed, and archaeology, yes. yes. But in time, so you could, depending on how you want to define it, you could actually say it's an early form of money. You could say it actually is money. That depends on how you want to define it. But what happens when these city-states emerge is that Suddenly it becomes more complex. There's a handful of these tokens. Suddenly there's like at least 60 of them, and there's designs on them. So maybe they represent 250 types of objects. And So at this time, uh, the city-states are making uh, – the craftsmen are taking over. and off. So what they do is they'll put these tokens in a little clay envelope and make marks on the outside to tell you what's on the inside. Okay, and in a bit of time, they stop putting the the items inside the envelope. They just have the clay envelope with the markings on it. It's like modern-day accounting. It is accounting. <laughs> yeah. It's money, and yes. it's also writing. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary how, how this evolution happens. And so the earliest known means of exchange goes back 10,000 years. Um, when when we look at the possibilities, I wonder who the first guy was to forge a clay a, a clay token, for example, and if there's any way of telling whether or not there was a level of corruption that that that, that this bred. I wonder. I think what we're talking about, and I, I mean, I think it's very clear that systems are open to corruption, but we're talking about a high level of trust, and I think. What you see in these systems, particularly if it's clay tokens, anybody can go and make clay tokens. So it's a much more of a memory. It's a relationship between you and I. I would even describe it as a sort of pre-literate contract. And it has a sort of sanctity. You know. Remember, you know, it's not a massive society. In, in some of these, uh, like Uruk is about 50,000 people. You probably today, know. today it's 50,000 people. In its time. Oh, in, in its heyday. Okay. Yeah. This is Uruk is the most enduring city of all. It lasted for about 5,000 years. But and that's from about 6,000. It's, it's just a mound now in the, okay. in the, in the desert. It's, uh, uh, but but you, that's where writing was invented, and the story that I've just told mm. you comes literally out of Uruk. Uh, and you've been to Uruk. You've been to the area of Iraq. It's, it's post 
the second war of Iraq, um, you, you, you struggled to get in there, didn't you? I mean, you, you had to go quite a convoluted path in order to get access to Iraq, to go to this cradle of, of financial civilization. It's not easy to get in. Um, I really battled. Um, you know, people do go there and they work in, for oil companies, for instance. But to go as a tourist or a researcher, researchers have been going too for quite a long time. But I managed to get an invitation from southern Iraq. This is from a, a, a uh, outfit called Nature Rock, and their, their big thing has been to uh, restore the marshlands after Saddam Hussein had them dried. Now, I mean, the, the, the marshlands are absolutely integral to the history of money. Absolutely. They? The so city-states came out of the marshlands. They literally, the, the marsh Arabs today who live there, I mean, there's virtually no islands. There's virtually no place to build. They'll take reeds and compact them and then put soil on top and more reeds and then they make their straw house on top of it. And that is a 5,000-year-old practice, probably even older. And they live with their water buffalo. And it was out of that exact environment. And the studies have been done to show how closely the lifestyle is of people back then compared to these people now, that these city-states came. The biggest one would be about 250,000 people. And uh, the agricultural extent would be like 100 square kilometers. Big commercial, commercial enterprise. Big state corporation running it all. Big, uh, sophisticated measurement systems, because uh, you can imagine you the uh, the potential for argument unless you can measure precisely. <laughs> Absolutely. And their their weight their weight system, for instance, is so precise that they can measure down to a third of the size of a grain of barley. It's astonishing. I mean, and these guys predate the the Egyptians. Well, uh, some of it is is in similar times, okay. and the, the Egyptians have their own followers and stuff, and. But it would seem that most people would agree that, indeed, they do predate. They predate, predate and maybe in the phonetic writing, which is their big, big contribution, by perhaps a couple of hundred years. Uh, you've got photographs, for example, of your, your trip as you, as you go around the marsh areas, and you've got photographs of a sign saying the first written words started here. That's in Iraq. Yes. Now, that is called the Yohana Temple, and she, uh, she was like the main goddess, and the modern-day equivalent of Yana would be Venus. And uh, so that's the ziggurat which rises right out of the, the marshes. And that temple was the center of learning, writing, everything for 3,000 years. What happened to these civilizations? How did they disappear off the face of the earth? Well, they, they you know, the, the thing about that area is that it's been by, overrun by, like, everybody. <laughs> yes. You know? If you, I couldn't even begin to tell you the list of people who have conquered. But the real issue that, that stopped uh, uh, Uruk and Ur, the two main centers that I, I visited in their tracks, was that the Euphrates moved. The river moved about 20 k's away. And all that infrastructure, and it was just, you can imagine the cost of replicating it. And the story moved on. It moved further north. It moved to Babylon it moved to the and then, then we get then we get into biblical times. We get into Babylonian times Indeed. and the hanging Indeed, gardens and all yes. of that sort of in stuff. In fact, Uruk is in the Bible as Erech. It it is mentioned in the it's a, in the Bible. And Erech could very well be the origins of the name Iraq as Indeed. we know today. Indeed.
Um, give me a sense then of the great work that has been done by somebody like Neil Ferguson, for example, which is who's become a bit of a celebrity off the back of money. He's a Harvard University academic. He's a, Scots, uh, a Scottish guy. He's been a guest on the show. He kind of makes us think that uh, he, he takes the Adam Smith approach, I suspect, um, and goes – Real money and real transactions began in Renaissance Italy, and the Italians are the fathers of the monetary system as we know it today. You'd take issue with him, would you? I think so, because I think if you look back uh, at you know, the period I'm talking about, and there are, two, there are two main sort of schools. The one is saying that money is a thing. It's like metallic, and it's a physical thing. And the other sees it as much more a social thing. It's much more to do with trust. It's much more to do with contract. And what I haven't said about the Sumerians is that they codify law. And not only can we see that writing comes out of the need to do economic measurement, but so does law. And and they get uh, independent law courts. And so I, I think I have uh, – and money can't, in my view, and if you look at this, can't really exist out of all this – outside of all this stuff. It's part and parcel mm. of it. We couldn't really have a financial system without having a legal system and independent courts and stuff that would sit. And I think that's the problem with the view that says, aha, you know, money is like a thing. It's a metal. It's a thing in your, uh, in your pocket or maybe something that shows up on your bank account. And there are issues that arise from that. And Aristotle, for instance, took that view. Money is a thing. And for that reason, he thought that usury was a bad idea. Because why should you be able to charge money on a thing? It's like a notional thing. But if you think of money as something in your bank account that you worked for, that you prepared to loan to somebody to use to make access that capital, then you might actually think usury is a good thing so long as it's managed. And the ancients, by the way... Had ways of doing that, uh, and I mean, one looks at the one goes back in history, and one looks at the level of financial sophistication, and it does make one feel completely inadequate five thousand years later that we still struggle with so many of the concepts that these guys seemed to have taped. They definitely had some things. I mean, they they would have limits on on. I mean, I would see usury as a good thing, but that limits should be mm. there, and this doesn't come directly from the Sumerian period. I've seen it from later periods, but I imagine they had it too. And that is that, for instance, interest would never exceed the capital amount. So what that does is shares the risk a little bit more between the lender and the borrower. Okay? The Sumerian equivalent is that now you've run yourself into financial trouble. There's no insolvency as such. What you do is you put yourself in slavery, okay? but for three years. Okay. So again, it's kind of now you can work yourself out of your financial trouble, and in three years you're free again to... You know, so provided somebody's got the writing skills to note the date at which you went into slavery, of course. But that, that's why these things have got to coexist. How how have our attitudes towards money evolved over the thousands of years since we have begun transacting in, on the basis of trust? Well, I mean, I'd go back to the Adam Smith thing. I think it makes sense that we did barter beforehand, but in fact, it's it's hard to find that the the evidence for it and. Um, so, uh, I mean, I would say that, that well, look, I think these are, the, these, these are friendlier societies. They all know one another. Yeah. And, and maybe the emergence of coins will mean that, you know, you can't work on ticks so easily. And that's perhaps why coins start to become more and more important. 
But uh, it's clear, I think, that some of our major thinkers have been wrong or misinformed or kind of got half the story. Um, but, but if one looks back at history, one looks at the destruction of societies and of civilizations in the name of conquest and money. The Aztecs were probably the wealthiest society of their time. Uh, 500 years ago, the Spaniards discovered there were hordes of gold and hordes of silver. They went over, they plundered, they killed, and they collected the coins, which funded the development and the evolution of, of Europe as we know it today. It's a yes. Um, one of the texts on my course is actually uh, Bernard Diaz, who is uh, a conquistador with Cortez, right, writing in just the most beautiful natural journalism. And actually, if you read that, you do come away. I'm not talking about the money side of that and taking the gold. Well, I mean, they say they were bankrupted and they didn't have anything to show for the enterprise. But. Um, it does give a bit of a different impression, and that is that they were able to get a lot of the locals to uh, side with them simply because they did two things. They said, uh, we bring in Christianity, and that means there's no human sacrifice, mm. which is a terrible tax to play. Eh? That, that, that's, you kind of get people on side where we're not yeah. going to chop your head off. Yeah, and they moved on side, and that's how, in my view, 500 people were able to take on 100,000 yeah. Montezumas because they created a tax revolt. It wasn't only the human sacrifice that was the case, sure. but all the all the the locals, particularly you know, the further you away from what is now Mexico City, the higher tax you paid. Not only <laughs> in terms of people. <laughs> Um, you, you're doing an extraordinary amount of reading. You're doing an extraordinary amount of research. You're looking to pull this all together in an original work um, to hopefully influence the world's thinking on on money and the origins of money. How, how far down that path are you? Well, I, I have uh, – look, I'm just trying to influence my own thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I've, I've got a draft of, you know, seven, eight uh, uh, chapters um, – the thing is that a lot of the work has been done by archaeologists or linguists, yeah. and so you really have to struggle to get the economic, uh, some of the economic information. There's an amazing dictionary, though, that, that took 90 years to put together but in Chicago. Even that, there's a bit of a problem because you can't just – it's not a single thing. You have to search each, um, you know, each letter uh, separately. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating subject to me. I mean, it's one that took me to Iraq and uh, – um, were you blown away by Iraq and were you blown away by the sense of history that you met there? And I mean, Iraq is a very different place today, courtesy of Saddam Hussein and the, the two American invasions and the global invasions of Iraq. It's a fundamentally different society, but they, they seem to be sort of reverting back to, in some ways, the good old ways, especially in the marshlands and all of that sort of stuff. Well, yes, but it's not a free society. Yeah. No. It's, uh, and there were... Just about 900 people killed while I was there. And uh, Al-Qaeda took over a city. I think they've still got it. Only 80 Ks from um, Baghdad. Uh, the people don't get much freedom at all. In fact, I was quite shocked by the uh, the marginalization of women. And, uh, you know, people might think, well, it's an Islamic thing. But it's more to do with the repression that they've had. They've been in this war zone thing. And to a great extent, they, they really haven't uh, emerged from it. Uh, so it's it quite uh, upsetting, actually. Until you open your mouth, um, you could be mistaken for an American. You're a white guy um, in in a place like like Iraq. Did you ever feel under threat? Did you feel under pressure at any point? Well, I mean, my personal uh, liberty, freedom was quite circumscribed. I mean, I couldn't walk in the town that I was staying in, and uh, even though there's been really no violence, I had to have a local person with me all, at all times. Yeah. So I was left to sort of exercise in a small little exercise yard and uh, I didn't get to ride bicycles or walk along the Euphrates. And 
Um, no, no, there's the partly because of the security threat. Yeah. Um, but partly because they haven't really reformed the place. You know, they, they rely on oil revenue for almost everything. It's like 90% of, of tax revenue. And there's no private sector. Uh, in fact, one little story from – I was at this place called El Chabash, which is right in the marshlands. And the Italians donated a milk factory so that they could process the buffalo milk. In five years, it hasn't worked because uh. there's a fight between the local authorities as to who will work it. But you can go and see steel and, uh, uh, engravings and granite stone from 5,000 years ago and see a working milk processing outfit. So It's tragic in so many respects that this is the cradle of, of much of our civilization. Indeed, indeed. Um, do, is there, do you get a sense of hope for Iraq? I mean, I, you're the first person who's not been in the security industry I've spoken about uh, Iraq to. I'd like to say that, but um, and I made really good friends there. Um, but uh, the problem is that you, you, while you have the security threat, you still need to reform. You still need to open up to give people a sense of freedom. And to a great extent, that doesn't happen. I can't really imagine an Arab Spring happening there. No. Um, it's just too controlled. But um, there needs to be, from an outsider's point, more personal liberty, more freedom. When does the book come out? Well, no, that's, that's, you know, we don't think about that. Yet. <laughs> so, I mean, have you got a publisher who's interested in it? Well, I haven't. Um, the main thing I wanted to make sure is I do have a book in the first case. And I'm, pretty, I'm at the, that position now that I think I do have a book. But, you know, I haven't been talking to publishers until I was sure. This is a book. Um, I, I think the calls might come um, because uh, they're always looking for innovative new ways of, of publishing books, especially South, books by South Africans. And if you get yourself a global bestseller uh, out of challenging the status quo on the origins of money, um, you may very well be onto something. Well, let's hope so. Um, are the lights coming on in the Wits journalism class? Are people uh, appreciating the enormity of the task that you've set yourself to learn and teach about money? I think so because it it does go to it goes to so many different subjects and um, and uh, the class you know drives the conversation themselves. It's also a writing class. They've got to produce a long form essay, and they've come up with some terrific ideas. And uh, I can hardly wait. And then a lot of it, of course, it, this will be on this, the, the course is broadly about economic relationships. Yeah. So uh, we've had some fascinating conversations. Uh, it's fabulous. Kevin Davy, wish you the best of luck with uh, completing the book. Uh, we won't curse it. We won't uh, do the Macbeth curse on you um, in terms of the book, but it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing with us the story of money. Going back 10,000 years to the origins of money, uh, putting his body on the line uh, visiting Iraq. Kevin Davy this evening on The Money Show.